everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Historic Pinstripes, where we discuss the history of the New York Yankees in every episode. The goal of the Historic Pinstripes is to preserve the rich history and tradition of the New York Yankees by discussing the greatest Yankees players and Yankees moments in Yankees history. Today's episode will be on the top five Yankees general managers in Yankee history. But first off, I just want to give you a little bit of information on general managers. Basically, general managers, are they structure the entire roster, and um, they usually do it with the help of, a lot of times, the manager um, and the owner and the front office, of course, nowadays. Anyways, let's start off this episode with the first general manager I am going to talk about, which is Ed Barrow. Ed Barrow was also known as Cousin Ed. Um, Ed Barrow, he was a Yankee GM from 1920 to 1945. He helped the Yankees win 14 pennants and 10 World Series titles. He also started his career as a concessions operator in 1894 with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, uh, while he was there, he was also um, a minor league manager eventually, and he ended up becoming an owner there as well. Um, back in those days, too, a lot of times, especially managers, um, the managers, uh, uh, they would have uh, some sort of partial ownership in the team. But this was way, way back in like the the early days of baseball and things were much different. Um, and also, I think the manager had a lot more to do with being a general manager. So things were a lot different back in those days. Um, uh, also, I think a lot of times, too, in the early days of baseball, managers were players as well. So things were a lot different. Moving on, Ed Barrow also became the president of the Eastern League in the minors. Um, eventually, he ended up being the Red Sox manager. Um, in fact, in 1918, uh, it was Ed Barrow who uh, he was the guy that wanted to convert Babe Ruth from a pitcher to an outfielder, and that's when he started. Um, coincidentally enough, Babe Ruth started playing more games in the outfield, obviously because of his tremendous bat. Um, and, you know, the power that he had was more than any other team, really a lot of other teams, um, just himself. But, of course, back in those days, they really didn't hit a lot of home runs. And the stadiums as well back in those days um, were a lot bigger. Um, so it was a lot harder to hit the ball out. Except for some, there are some stadiums, I uh, like Yankee Stadium, for instance. Well, actually, Yankee Stadium wasn't even around back then. But some stadiums did have some crazy dimensions as well. Um, however, uh, 1920, like I said, that's when he was hired by Jacob Rupert or Colonel Jacob Rupert, who was the then owner of the New York Yankees. Um, that's when he started as the general manager. And Ed Barrow, I guess him and Rupert had grew to have a very close relationship. Um, also, uh, Ed Barrow, the, some of the players that he acquired, he actually acquired quite a few players from his days with the Red Sox. And, of course, Ed Barrow would um, soon acquire Babe Ruth. You know, the Red Sox, of course, selling Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees for, I think it was $120,000. Um, they also, uh, they, but they also acquired guys like Everett Scott from the Red Sox, who was a shortstop captain, Wade Hoyt who I believe is a Hall of Famer starting pitcher. I think he might have been um, a relief pitcher toward the end of his career, but I'm not positive on that. Joe Dugan, who was a second baseman for the Red Sox and later joined the Yankees. Um, I believe he was more of a defensive guy, but he wasn't a bad hitter for that day and age, but he wasn't like a power guy. He was just more of a contact guy. Um, and Herb Pennock, also came from the Red Sox, was one of the top starting pitchers for the New York Yankees. He was a left-handed pitcher. Um, also, Ed Barrow, um, he was a very tough contract negotiator. Um, 
and he was also known as a risk taker. He wasn't afraid to, to make moves um, that, you know, people, that other general managers and owners didn't really want to do. Like there was one time when Joe DiMaggio, before he had signed with the Yankees, um, he, he had had a knee injury. And there were a lot of teams that really didn't want to sign Joe DiMaggio, um, but Ed Barrow was willing to take on that risk and sign him. And uh, also, as far as Ed Barrow goes, uh, his first eight seasons with the Yankees, the Yankees won six pennants. And also, uh, Ed Barrow hired future general manager and uh, part-time owner George Weiss. Uh, But at this time, George Weiss was hired to be the minor league director for the New York Yankees. And George Weiss was actually very influential in the building of the minor leagues and major league baseball. Um, However, the two of them, Ed Barrow and uh, George Weiss, of course, they helped develop some new scouting techniques and uh, like the ways that they would use the farm systems. A lot of that was from Ed Barrow and George Weiss. And actually, there was one top scout, uh, Paul Critchell, who was hired by both Barrow and George Weiss. Ed Barrow, um, as I said, he was a risk taker. Um, he took on the contract of Joe DiMaggio, which a lot of other teams really didn't want to. They didn't want to do. They saw they saw that as as they thought Joe, Joe DiMaggio was um, damaged goods. Um, and obviously that was not the case at all. I guess Tony Lazari was also a guy that teams didn't really want to uh, take on because I guess he was epileptic, so they um, they didn't take him on. And of course, Tony Lazari was is one of the best Yankee second basemen of all time. And anyways, uh, Ed Brown he disliked night games. Of course, in the 1920s they really didn't play a whole lot of night games. Um, uh, another thing about Ed Barrow, he was a two-time executive of the year. Uh, which I guess they did have that award back then, which I, I didn't realize. Um, also, Ed Barrow ran the Yankees. He didn't run the Yankees from Yankee Stadium. He ran it from the 42nd Street um, in, in just a regular office that they had on 42nd Street, I guess. And he um, he was known for having a very bad ten- temper, and he was respected, but I guess he was feared by his peers, which I'm sure actually probably kind of helped him being such a, a good, uh, tough negotiator. Um, with contracts. Um, however, at the same time, I'm sure that um, didn't help him in some ways as well. Uh, Jacob Wooper, I, he had ended up passing away in 1939, and in his will, he gave the team to uh, three women, and eventually they would sell it to uh, Larry McPhail, um, who was a part owner of the Yankees, and also Dan Topping, who was a businessman, and Del Webb, who was a lead developer. Um, and actually... Ed Barrow, he really didn't see eye to eye with especially Larry McPhail. Um, and actually, that ended up to, uh, Ed Barrow ended up retiring in 1947. Uh, but However, they did have Ed Barrow Day in 1950. Um, however, the next year, in 1948, uh, George Weiss actually took over the, uh, as general manager. Um, but the, the manager was hired um, by, I believe it was Larry McPhail, and um, Bucky Harris was the manager. Uh, and the Yankees actually finished in third place in 1948. So um, uh, Bucky Harris ended up, he ended up getting fired by George Weiss. But I think it was after the, it was after the 1947 uh, World Series, which the Yankees won. But I guess there was a World Series party where Larry McPhail kind of got in a fight with George Weiss. I'm not sure the reason, but he ended up um, duking it out with him and he knocked him out. And he ended up basically the other two, Owners didn't like that at all, so they bought out his third, uh, one third part of his ownership. However, Larry McPhail, um, 
I guess he was very influential in um in, in like Ed Barrow as far as he didn't like night games, but Larry McPhail did like night games and he saw that as a good thing and it was um but he was very influential in that and I guess he was the guy that 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 uh had the Yankees put lights on the top of the stadiums. I guess he had removed all the flags in the outfield or something like that. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, but he he's very influential with getting the lights and having night games at Yankee Stadium. Um, 1953, Ed Barrow was elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame, and he was actually known as the Yankee Empire Builder. Of course, you know, he had teams like with uh, Gehrig and Ruth and DiMaggio, and he had teams that were just stacked. I mean, hiring a guy like George Weiss, um, you know, George Weiss was there for a very long time as well. And actually, that brings me to the second Yankee general manager that I want to mention, uh, George Weiss. Um, you know, they, they're kind of uh, kind of connected. But George Weiss obviously took over in 1947 after Ed Barrow. Um, he was there until about 1960. George Weiss, um, his mentor, of course, was Ed Barrow. Um, a quote that I, wanted to, I just wanted to mention about Weiss, he said, There's no such thing as second place. You're first or you're nothing, which I just kind of found interesting because it's very much how George Steinbrenner was running the Yankees. And um, uh, it sounds like it probably was very similar to Jacob Rupert as well. However, um, there's another quote too as well, or some things that I had heard from, I guess Jerry Coleman had worked with George Weiss in the front office after his playing days. He was the second baseman in the 1950s for the Yankees. Um, However, he worked in the front office, and he said about working with George Weiss later on um, after he retired, he said that George Weiss was tough and cold, but he was also very brilliant. Um, and also, he also said that after five minutes to five, um, when you went in for your shift, uh, the phone would ring, and it would, it would be George, uh, George Weiss, who wanted to make sure that you were still working. So he didn't want people clocking out too early. He wanted to make sure he got the best bang for his buck, basically. Um, and anyways, so George Weiss was very meticulous, it, like just down to the uniforms, to everything, even the quality of toilet paper. That's how meticulous George Weiss was. Um, so it's just it, it's um, this kind of interesting. And I guess George Weiss too. He was very he was kind of a quiet guy. He wasn't really um, he liked to be behind the scenes and. I guess they even called him the Yankee Inspector General, um, just obviously because of his uh, being so meticulous and being behind the scenes and just kind of watching everything from afar. Also, the first move that George Weiss made as general manager of the Yankees, he acquired Eddie Lopat, who was a left-handed starting pitcher. He was a part of the big three, um, and later, of course, later the big four when Whitey Ford came. It was Eddie Lopat, uh, Vic Grasky, um, Allie Reynolds, I believe, and... Um, and Whitey Ford, of course, and uh, the last acquisition made by the general by George Weiss as general manager of the New York Yankees was Roger Maris um, for for the 1960 season, um, and actually was the last season that he was the general manager. Um, uh, one of the most respected general managers of his time. Um, he was. He's actually probably. He, I, I, like I said, he was, he was very influential in base, basically helping baseball uh, develop the entire minor league system. Um, so, uh, I mean, the, he's done a lot of good things for, for the game, not only, not only the Yankees. 
Um, he went to Yale University, so he was obviously very a very bright guy. He also, I guess, he while he was working at or while he, while he went to school at Yale University, um, George Weiss worked for a semi-pro baseball team in New Haven, Connecticut, and then he, I guess, ended up purchasing that team in 1919. He and he used to sign players to game by game contracts, just basically for promotional purposes. And um, that, that's basically how he got his start. Um, and, of course, he ended up going on. He get, got hired by uh, Ed Barrow to work with the Yankees as the minor league director. George, George Weiss was often compared a lot to Branch Rickey. They're very similar anyways, and uh, they both had a very good reputation. Um, also, George Weiss was known as being a penny pincher, which obviously I think a lot of those guys were. And, and you know, this kind of goes with the times as well. But anyways... Uh, George Weiss, he also kind of copied a lot of the tactics that Branch Rickey used for his farm system, and he, but also I guess he kind of evolved it as well. But um, anyways, as I said before, Weiss was nicknamed the Yankee Inspector General, like I said, like for being very meticulous. At one point, um, I guess Ed Barrow and George Weiss, they actually had 20 or more teams in the minor leagues and George Weiss, it, um, although it didn't say if there were 20 or more teams for the Yankees, or in baseball, I'm not. I'm not positive on that. I would imagine in baseball because that seems like a lot of teams just for one organization to have in the minor leagues. Um, however, George Weiss is credited with really doing a lot for the minor leagues, as I said before. And actually, he ended up hiring another. There was another top scout that was hired by George Weiss, Johnny Knee, along with uh, Paul Critchell, who was also hired by Ed Barrow as well. However, after 1948, uh, when Bucky Harris was fired. Um, George Weiss convinced the owners, Dan Topping and um, Del Webb, to hire Casey Stengel. And, um, of, of course, I guess George Weiss knew uh, Casey Stengel from uh, from Casey Stengel's day in, days in the Pacific Coast League. So George Weiss uh, ended up hiring Casey Stengel for the Yankees. And, of course, the Yankees ended up winning 12 World Series in uh, Casey Stengel's tenure with them. Weiss, I guess, believed in maximum profits at maximum costs, which basically goes with kind of that error. Um, and one example of that was, I guess, George Weiss, he cut Mickey Mantle's salary in uh, after 1957. Uh, and uh, I guess Mickey Mantle had a higher batting average that year, but he did not win the batting title or the Triple Crown like he did um, in 1956. And I guess when Mickey asked why he didn't get a... a a raise or didn't get the same salary George Weiss said it's what you're worth so that's just again it's very fitting of that time period um, but also that just tells you kind of how George Weiss was the way he was anyways George Weiss also made a couple other um, kind of unpopular moves getting rid of Billy Martin after the Copacabana incident and again that's kind of uh a lot about how you know he was called the Yankee Inspector General, and it really didn't look good for the Yankee organization. And although Billy Martin was definitely a Yankee through and through, and he loved being with the Yankees, it just it, it just um, it just I guess for whatever reason uh, it just he just felt like he really needed to trade him. Um, anyways, that I guess also at the same time though they had another second baseman who was Bobby Richardson, of course. Um, and they ended up bringing him up. So they kind of had somebody in line, but um, it was kind of a still kind of a touch situation. However, another unpopular move was um, 
George Weiss, he ended up cutting Bill Rizzuto on Old Timers Day in 1956, which is kind of shows you how George Weiss at times could be very harsh. Um, and that's definitely very harsh, um, especially Bill Rizzuto was a, uh, a Hall of Fame baseball player and very, very well-liked and well-respected um, individual. Um, and he also moved the starting pitcher, Vic Rasky, um, in a salary dispute as well. Um, after 1954, um, the Yankees finished in second place. And after that, after that season, he acquired Bob Turley, who was known as Bullet Bob, and he also acquired Don Larson. Both were a lot better with the Yankees than they were with any other team that they had previous, previously played for. Um, but also, uh, George Weiss ended up being forced to resign after the 1960 season, and of course, in which they lost to the Pittsburgh Pirates in Game 7 on the walk-off home run by Bill Mazeroski. Um, of course, Casey Stengel was also fired, and uh, ap- a- that was after 1960. And one last thing about George Weiss was that it took way too long for him to bring up Elston Howard, but uh, I guess at the same time, though, you know, during the 50s, it took, it, in general, it really just kind of took way too long for for baseball to kind of bring in uh, African-American baseball players. Um, but, yeah, Elston Howard should have been brought up a lot sooner than he was. Another general manager I wanted to mention was Gabe Paul. Gabe Paul was general manager from 1973 to 1977. Um, he during the Bronx Zoo, he he was actually a general manager, of course. For Gabe Paul, I just wanted to start off uh, with a quote that he said uh, during the Bronx Zoo days, 1977. Gabe Paul has said, um, "The great thing about baseball is there's a crisis every day." So I just thought that was kind of funny and, and kind of fitting of that time period. He was also executive of the year in 1974 while with the New York Yankees. Um, also. Another thing about Gabe Paul, he was actually he's been he's been he was in baseball since the 1930s, which I didn't realize he was in baseball that long. Um, he actually handled, uh, of course, he handled egos like Reggie Jackson, Billy Martin, and George Steinbrenner all at the same time with the Yankees, which obviously was not I'm sure was not easy at all. And he actually ran the Cleveland Indians for many years as well. Um, but also another thing about Gabe Paul too was like I said. I think a lot of, I guess a lot of the general managers, um, you know, they, they, they used to like to kind of own a portion of the team because it meant that they had a little bit more control of the team. So in order to get some of the control, they would buy just a little bit of a percentage of the team. Also, I guess uh, when Gabe Paul was about 10 years old, he was a bat boy for uh, in, 19, in the 1930s. And um, I guess George Stallings, who was a, I think he might've been a Hall of Famer, but George Stallings taught him how to deaden baseballs by freezing them. Um, and that was in the double and double A for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals farm team, the Rochester Red Wings, which was uh, where he grew up in Rochester. However, uh, he also wrote for a local newspaper in, uh, in high school, and he contributed stories to the sporting news. And at 18 years old, Gabe Paul was a ticket salesman at Rochester with the Rochester Red Wings. Um, he was his major influence um, was Warren Giles. Uh, Warren Giles was the president of the Rochester Red Wings, and also another mentor of his was Branch Rickey as well. Um, but anyways, Warren Giles, uh, one some advice that he had told um, Gabe Paul at the time, you know, because he was a ticket salesman, he said, "Don't ever break your word. Your word is the most important thing you have." Um, October 1936. 
Warren Giles became Red's general manager, and they brought Gabe Paul with them as a traveling secretary and a PR, and as a PR man as well. Um, and I guess they actually won the 1940 World Series as well that year with the Cincinnati Reds. Gabe Paul, um, he ended up serving in the infantry division in World War II. Um, after that, he became vice president of the Reds. Um, and also, I guess in 1951, Warren Giles became the president of the National League. And then that's when Gabe Paul became the youngest general manager at 41 years old. And he said they would not be better in 1952, but they would be a lot different. And also Gabe Paul stayed with the Reds until 1960. And then he went to the Houston Colt 45s who were an expansion team. Um, I believe he was only there for like one year though. And then he ended up going to the Cleveland Indians from 1961 to 1973 before his time began with the New York Yankees. 1963, he actually became part of the ownership group like I was mentioning and obviously that was probably because he wanted to have uh, a little bit more control in the team. Um, 1966 though he sold his stock um, with the Indians and I guess eventually he ended up joining George Steinbrenner's ownership group with the Yankees and of course that's kind of how he got in with the Yankees and became their general manager but however he ended up kind of like um, Ed Barrow with the Yankees and the Red Sox when he came to the Yankees from the Red Sox. Gabe Paul, when he came to the Yankees, traded for a lot of players from the from the Indians or signed them. Um, some of the guys he got were Greg Nettles from the Indians. He got Chris Chambliss, Dick Tidrow, Oscar Gamble. Um, but he also got some other pretty darn good players like Lou Pinello, of course, from Kansas City, uh, Willie Randolph from the Pirates. Um, the nickname Gabe Paul had... Um, because of the his knack for just picking up guys via trade um, was the Smiling Cobra, um, which is kind of a cool nickname and kind of funny as well. Um, and actually, if you think about it, like if you've ever watched the movie um, the or actually TV show series from ESPN, The Bronx is Burning, um, it's a very good TV show. But uh, anyways, the, I believe there's a part in there where um, Gabe Paul was, there was, they were talking about the trades and I believe he he kind of they kind of did a little. You, he doesn't obviously they don't say it, but the way he smiled, you can kind of it does remind me of the smiling cobra. So, anyways, I just figured I'd mention that. Anyways, Gabe Paul, uh, 1978, he actually went back to the Indians, even though the Yankees did win the World Series in 1977. But of course, like I said, it must have been very hard for anyone uh, to to manage egos like Reggie Jackson, George Steinbrenner, Billy Martin. And obviously, they really just just didn't like each other at all. So he went back to the Indians in 1978. Um, and I don't know if that's exactly why he left the Yankees. Probably, I'm sure, his con probably, probably, probably because of his contract ran out as well, I would imagine. But uh, regardless, though, 1978 went back to the Indians, and uh, he ended up retiring in 1984. Um, so moving on to another great Yankee general manager, Gene Stick Michael. Gene Michael. Um, Gene Michael was actually a uh, manager for the Yankees in the 1980s. He had two managerial stints, but they weren't for very long. That was during the time when George Steinbrenner, he was very, very controlling. And if the Yankees went on a losing streak, um, he'd get rid of you, uh, like you'd be on the hook very quick. Um, so anyways, basically, Gene Stick Michael was a general manager basically from 1990 to 1995. I figure I would just kind of go with that because that was the time where he was finally given the chance to be general manager for a while and kind of do what he wanted to do. 
George Steinmetter was suspended. And it was as a player, George Stick Michael uh, was the master of the hidden ball trick. And I, uh, he played from 1966 to 1975. He actually pulled off the hidden ball trick five times, I believe. Um, and I think that I would imagine that is probably a record, but I'm not positive on that. However, uh, he was also a middle infielder as well. Um, however, he was also a Yankees coach as well, um, which I didn't realize. Uh, and actually, when he was a, a coach with the Yankees, Reggie Jackson actually credited his scouting reports for helping uh, Reggie hit three home runs in the World Series game in 1977, Game 6. So I just thought that was kind of kind of interesting, but also in a lot of ways, it was kind of just a lot of... Uh, uh, showed the respect that Reggie had for Gene Michael and the way that he, um, the way that he did his scouting. So um, obviously Reggie was the one that did the work. It was Re- Reggie that hit the three home runs. Um, however, uh, scouting reports. I mean, it, it, at least it, it does. It, there is some, like it just tells you how good Gene Michael was at just scouting talent. That's a that's a lot of respect coming from a guy like Reggie Jackson, being a Hall of Famer. Um, anyways, Gene Michael, he helped build the late 1990s dynasty, of course, for the Yankees. Actually, the Yankees farm system, um, they, they basically had to develop it because obviously, you know, George Steinberg, another owner, was suspended. So finally, Gene Michael was able to kind of build the team the way he wanted to without interference. And I guess that was the thing that he really disliked when he was, um, I believe he was general manager for a little while uh, with the Yankees in the 80s as well. But he never really got the chance. The same thing as a manager. Um, however, uh, the first guy that the Yankees had called up was Bernie Williams um, under Gene Michael in 1991. And that's when, of course, he made his Major League debut. And once he made his Major League debut, um, of course, Bernie Williams was not highly touted. He was not a guy that was supposed to be a superstar. And um, they were. They did expect him to be pretty good, though. However, it took him a while Um and Gene Michael, he liked, I guess he liked his defense and his speed. And he, he just thought he could really cover a lot of ground out in the outfield. And he saw potential in his bat. And he saw that he had a lot of pop. And he actually liked him so much that uh, Roberto Kelly, who was the Yankee center fielder at the time, and I believe he was an all-star that year um, in 1990. They traded Roberto Kelly for Paul O'Neill. as probably one of the best trades in the history of the Yankees. Because uh, Paul O'Neill, of course, went on and... Was a, he was a leader of that late 90s Yankees dynasty team, and he, he was a clutch player. Uh, of course, and of course, at the time, though, Paul O'Neill was not doing as well with the Reds, uh, but Roberto Kelly was doing well. But then it kind of switched when they switched sides. Um, you didn't really hear as much about Roberto Kelly, but Roberto Kelly did have a, he had a pretty good career, but Paul O'Neill had ended up having a better career, of course. And in 1993, George Steinbrenner came back. So that's when Gene Michael was allowed to kind of sign some more players. Um, Yankees were starting to get a little bit better, um, but they still weren't that great. So they went out and signed Wade Boggs, Jim Abbott, and Jimmy Key in 93, for 93. And, um, I guess they also hired Buck Showalter in 1992 as well. And Buck Showalter, uh, he really, he was also a big part of the Yankees rebuilding too, because he was he was a guy that he, he was very loyal to. He seemed very loyal to his players. Of course, this was I think when Buck Showalter he didn't have a whole lot of managerial experience at this time too, but he. Um, he really helped the Yankees. And also, George Steinbrenner, of course, started getting tired of Bernie Williams. You know, he, he, Bernie wasn't really... It took Bernie... Like I said, it took him a while to get going 
um, to, to really start playing well um, and to start playing up to his potential. And really, George Steinbrenner, he didn't, he didn't like to give young players a chance, really. Uh, but Gene Michael was tried everything. He basically did everything he could to persuade George not to trade Bernie Williams, and he really had to have a lot of patience. Um, so, anyways, 1995. Um, of course, there were a couple other guys who made their debuts: Mariano Rivera and Derek Jeter. And Mariano Rivera, uh, he, he actually came up around the same time as Derek Jeter, and I. I I guess it, at some point, in, uh, I, Mariano Rivera and Derek Jeter had gotten sent back down. Uh, Derek Jeter, I don't think, was ever really going to, in the 1995, he was never going to really stay up. He was up there to because the Yankees had an injury. However, Rivera, I guess the, the Yankees were thinking about trading him for a shortstop, Felix Fermin, who was, I guess he was a pretty good shortstop, but he wasn't really a great hitter. He was a pretty good defensive shortstop. And I guess after that, they were going to end up trading Derek Jeter as well. However, Mariano Rivera started uh, pitching better in um, AAA, and they ended up not going through with the deal. So, of course, that ended up being probably the best trade that the Yankees never made. Um, and, of course, Rivera ended up having one of the best careers of all time. And some other players that were brought in by Gene Michael in his general manager career with the Yankees was, were like Andy Pettit, Jorge Posada, uh, Romeo Mendoza, Joe Girardi, I believe, as well. So Gene Michael, um, as you can see, he, he really built that entire team. And um, he, uh, uh, even in 1996, uh, 96, I don't know if Gene Michael stepped down. I think he might have stepped down. And then, obviously, Bob Watson became the new general manager. But from 96 to 2002, Gene Michael served as vice president of Major League Scouting. And then he would eventually move on to being vice president and senior advisor. But in 2002... The Red Sox, I guess, they wanted to interview Gene Michael as their general manager. Uh, the same, but at the same, that that was the the interview process when they ended up hiring Theo Epstein. However, the Yankees didn't give them permission. In 2003, even uh, they named him the vice president and senior advisor, and he held on to that role until 2017, when he um, unfortunately passed away at the age of 74. Um, however, he was also manager of the Old Timers Day game. Um, I believe for many years for both teams, the Bombers and the Clippers in the Old Timers Day game. So Gene Michael was definitely very influential um, in, in his time with the Yankees as general manager. So moving on, I'm going to mention the present general manager, Brian Cashman. Uh, Brian Cashman started in 1998 as general manager, but he, I believe he was he had started with the Yankees like in the, I think it was around the late 1980s as like an intern and he kind of worked his way up. Um, and of course he's He's still with the Yankees. Uh, 1998, he was named the youngest general manager in Yankee history. I think he was about 31 years old or so. Um, uh, also, uh, he helped the Yankees win four World Series titles as a general manager. Um, uh, of course, he was part of the team in, in 1996. Um, I forget exactly what his role was. I think he might have been the assistant general manager. Um, he also helped the Yankees to six pennants as a general manager as well. Um and after 2014, um, that's where things kind of got a little bit harder. Um, kind of like Gene Michael, where Gene Michael came in, um, the Yankees really didn't have a great team. They were kind of depleted by a lot of the trades that were made, and and teams players really didn't want to sign there because you know Steinbrenner, um, he didn't really have a very good reputation. Of course, um, you know obviously him obviously being suspended and Dave Winfield, uh, the whole 
uh, thing between Steinbrenner and Winfield didn't really wasn't really a good reflection on the Yankees at that time, and uh, Steinbrenner, of course, especially. Um, however, uh, the, they also were trying. They did try to sign a few veteran free agents like Ellsbury, uh, Jacoby Ellsbury, um, Brian McCann, Carlos Beltran, but they really didn't work out quite like the Yankees wanted, um, especially uh, especially like Jacoby Ellsbury. Um, however. Um, the, uh, so Cashman needed to kind of get a little bit more creative. And I think by like 2010, 2011 or so, it's when the Yankees started really trying to, trying to draft a little bit better. Um, and I guess they, they, I mean, they were still trying to win too, though, because obviously 2009, they wanted to, uh, they had signed guys like, uh, CC Sabathia, uh, AJ Burnett, Mark Deschera. So they were trying, um, you know, they were trying to win like always. Um, but, um, they kind of they they were getting a little bit too old, and baseball's kind of becoming more of a younger game, I guess you could say. So um, Cashman kind of had to start getting a little bit more creative, and that's I think that that's around when he started making some trades like Didi Gregorius. Um, that when he, he the Yankees made the trade after 2014, they needed uh, they they uh, didn't really have another shortstop to replace Jeter. And Didi really stepped in, and that was probably one of the best trades the Yankees have ever had. Um, Cashman's made quite a few very good trades. Uh, Glaber Torres, another guy, um, of course, the current Yankee shortstop, came from the Cubs, and he, he, they ended up trading Aroldis Chapman to the Cubs, and of course, they ended up signing him back. Aaron Hicks uh, got him from the from the Twins, and of course, even though Aaron Hicks isn't hasn't really been the same uh, player this year. Yeah, but he's he's still been very good for the most part for the Yankees, and he's a very good defensive center fielder. Um, also, the Andrew Miller trade uh, for Clint Frazier. Um, so far, uh, it seems like that was a pretty good trade because Miller seems to be on the uh, back end of his career. And actually, I, he might have even retired already. I'm not positive on that anyway. Um, and the Curtis Granderson trade was a pretty good trade as well. Even though he didn't win a World Series, he, he had some very good years for the Yankees as well. Anyways, uh, of course, 2016, uh, that was when the kind of rebuild, um, but it was kind of a short rebuild. I think the Yankees kind of had a little bit more in their farm system than people thought because they didn't really know what they had. That was the first time in a long time that the Yankees um, were finally allowed to kind of give the young players a chance and... It really worked, and and like they gave Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, and Tyler Austin, and a few other guys. I believe Luis Severino as well. Um, they all got a chance to play, and and um, that that's kind of when 2016 really turned around. But that was especially because of Gary Sanchez, who basically went off that year. I believe he had like 20, 21 home runs or something like that in the last two months. And in two of the last three seasons, the Yankees have been in the American League Championship Series. So they've been doing um, a lot better lately. With Cashman, it's still kind of going on, so it's kind of hard to judge. But it's especially hard to judge him against guys like George Weiss and Ed Barrow because they did so much for the Yankees way back in the, in, in like the 50s and the 20s. So it's, it's kind of a different day and age. However, Cashman kind of sometimes doesn't really get the credit he deserves. You could say sometimes he maybe he'll get too much credit, sometimes he doesn't get enough. Um, however, either way, Cashman, Brian Cashman has made a lot of very good moves for the New York Yankees, and I think he 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 definitely is trying and he's doing his best. And he know like a lot of the things that Brian Cashman does, like he 
he knows how the Yankees uh, are supposed to run. He, he knows the Yankee tradition and, and everything. Um, I think probably the best player that Brian Cashman as general manager, I mean, I guess he didn't draft him, but uh, he, you know, under his supervision and the best homegrown talent for the Yankees under Brian Cashman was Robinson Cano, I would say. Um, and I guess maybe Alfonso Soriano as well, even though Soriano and Cano probably weren't, I don't think they were drafted because they were signed from, you know, uh, the Dominican Republic. Anyways, 2009, uh, that of course, that was the year uh, they, they signed CC to Shara and Burnett, and that's probably the one year that I can really think of that that when they signed up three really good players, they were all really good that year. Of course, Burnett, AJ Burnett, really wasn't that good after after 2009, but in 2009, Burnett had a very good year. Uh, Mark Teixeira had a very good year, and so did CC Sabathia, of course. And of course, they ended up trading for Nick Swisher, who was. Um, this is another trade that was very good. Of course, Nick Swisher was definitely another guy that um, that really helped the Yankees and kind of helped loosen up the clubhouse, and that was a big part of of that that season. Um, so Brian Cashman is definitely deserving of being on the top five Yankees general managers of all time. Another general manager I wanted to mention was Bob Watson, who was right in between Gene Michael from 1990-95 and Brian Cashman from 98 to, to the present. Uh, Bob Watson was general manager from 1996 to 1998. Um, he was actually the first African-American general manager to win the World Series. Um, Bob Watson, actually, he also helped kind of help the Yankees, uh, you know, the late 90s dynasty by going out and getting uh, Tina Martinez, Jeff Nelson. Of course, I mean, G. Michael was, um, he, he was still working with the Yankees when Bob Watson was there, but, you know, Bob Watson was the guy in charge uh, I mean, he was the, the guy that really, I mean, George was the guy that was mainly in charge, but Bob Watson was the guy that was, um, he was pretty much, as far as baseball operations, he was like the main, the, the, the guy that made the final decision before it went to George Steinbrenner. As a player, though, Bob Watson, he was actually nicknamed the Bull, and uh, I believe he was actually a pretty darn good baseball player as well. He actually hit a home run in his first World Series at bat in 1981 uh, with the Yankees, um, uh, and uh, another thing about uh, kind of a cool note about uh, Bob Watson during his playing playing days, he actually scored the one millionth run in Major League Baseball history. Um, Stick Michael or George Michael um, was he was like I said he was still involved in 1996, and Bob Watson made some great moves like um, you know bringing on Tino Martinez and Jeff Nelson and that helped. Like, but not, not only did that help the 1996 team through the 2000 team, but it really helped the 1998 team um, because uh, when Bob Watson resigned, he actually resigned in, um, I think it was February of 1998 because I think he went to get a job with the MLB offices. But the, that 1998 team was a team that was basically, they weren't they weren't expected to do what they did. They won 125 games uh, for the whole season. That includes the postseason. That's the most wins of any team ever. But anyway, so Bob Watson ended up resigning after that. I, I actually, I believe he retired, um, and he ended up going on to serve as Major League Baseball Vice President of Discipline, Rules, and On-Field Operations. And in 2000, Bob Watson also worked for USA Baseball and for the Summer Olympics. Um, they won the gold medal that year. In 1999, he actually got a bachelor's degree after his um, many years after his playing career. And he got his bachelor's degree in sports management. Um, he did end up passing away, unfortunately, this past May um, because of kidney disease stage four. 
Uh, but Bob Watson was a very influential part in Yankees history. Um, obviously building the Yankees 1998 team and really just kind of helping that, that dynasty um, right in the middle of it. Anyways, we're going to move on to another Yankee general manager, Lee McPhail. Lee McPhail was a general manager doing um, kind of a very difficult time in Yankee history because 1966 to 1973 when Lee McPhail was general manager, um, the Yankee ownership, um, I, I believe, I think they were owned by, I think his name was Michael Burke. Um, but anyways, it was basically owned by, he owned uh, CBS, I believe. And they didn't really um, have a vested interest, at least not as much as like George Steinbrenner or Colonel Jacob Rupert. However, um, Lee McPhail was known as being a very bright baseball guy. He actually ended up bringing Sparky Lyle to the Yankees from the Red Sox, I believe. Um, of course, Sparky Lyle ended up winning the Cy Young in 1977. He was actually also a baseball executive for 45 years. Um, however, I believe his family too, the McPhails, they, his his family in general, they were just baseball lifers pretty much, and they 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 just loved the game. So like I so like I was saying um, before, uh, Larry McPhail, who he was a part owner of the Yankees, um, and actually that was I believe that was um, Lee McPhail's grandfather, I believe. Um, but anyways, Lee McPhail, he had been the general manager of the Baltimore Orioles as well before with the Yankees. Uh, he was the general manager with the Orioles from 1960 to 1965. He helped the Orioles build their, maybe not dynasty, but he helped them build some really good teams. Um, and actually, uh, before his departure, he was working out some trade discussions for Frank Robinson, um, the, you know, the Hall of Fame outfielder. And that was in November of 1965. And actually... 1966, the Orioles went on to win the World Series, but Frank Robinson also won the Triple Crown and an American League MVP award as well. So, I mean, that just tells you right there how good Lee McPhail, how much Lee McPhail knew about baseball. Um, and Lee McPhail in 1966, he became the top aide to the commissioner, um, so that's why he left the Baltimore Orioles. Um, at the time, the commissioner was William Eckhart. Um, he was a retired Air Force Lieutenant General. Like I said, when he was with the Yankees, he wasn't able to really make a big splash with them. They, the Yankees were rebuilding. They, I mean, when he was with the Yankees, Mickey Mantle was, um, you know, he was getting older. A lot of the guys, Whitey Ford, there, there were a lot of guys that were getting older, and they really didn't have, didn't want to spend the money in the team. So after 1973, uh, when he left and gave Paul obviously went to the Yankees as general manager, as I mentioned before. But anyways, after 1973, um, Lee McPhail became American League president um, until 1983. And eventually, he would move the league's office from Boston to New York City, which I didn't realize that the leagues, they had a league's, uh, the league's office in Boston. I, I believe they might have had two league offices, maybe. I'm not positive, but... I thought that was interesting. And I guess Lee McPhail was also credited with handling the stalled negotiations in 1981 with the strike. Lee McPhail was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1998. Also, Lee McPhail's son, Andy McPhail, he was also a general manager of the Twins, 1986 to 1994. Um, he helped and Andy McPhail won two World Series with the Twins, of course. So the McPhails were a big part in, in baseball history. So those are probably the best general managers in Yankees history. But now it's time to rank the top five Yankees general managers in Yankees history, in my opinion. But first, I just wanted to mention that the Historic Pinstripe Show is a proud member of the 4041 Media family with other podcasts such as Psych Your Crime, Free Your Geek, Honest Fitness Talk with Your Trainer Nick, and Movie Theater Time Machine. And you can 
feel free to look for more information at www.4041media.com. And moving on to the top five rankings in Yankees history for general managers. Number one, I have Ed Barrow. Number two, George Weiss. Number three, Gene Michael. Number four, Brian Cashman. And number five, Gabe Paul. Um, the honorable mention also, I decided to go with Bob Watson. I've basically decided to put Ed Barrow number one because, um, again, he was nicknamed the Yankee Empire Builder. And also, he was a big part of, you know, he basically kind of put the Yankees on the map. Obviously, Jacob uh, Rupert, Colonel Jacob Rupert, he was a big part of that as well. But Ed Barrow made a lot of the, the, the moves and... and um, he really like he really like was very meticulous and just the way him and George Weiss both were so very meticulous they really helped the Yankees um to get where they were and you know they won a lot of world series with the move with the uh, acquisitions that they made and the decisions that they made cuz i mean when you're making the decisions that all all of these general managers that i've named today have made like these are very difficult decisions and there's a lot to them so i mean uh, they're really, they were all like really instrumental in Yankees history. Ed Barrow, George Weiss, Gene Michael, Brian Cashman, Gabe Paul, Bob Watson. I, I, I figured I, I put Bob Watson in there as honorable mention because, I mean, Lee McPhail, he really didn't get a chance to really kind of help the Yankees as much just because the ownership really wasn't there. But at the same time, though, Bob Watson was kind of in, he kind of was in the perfect spot. But at the same time, though. The, that 1998 Yankees team, um, him adding Scott Brocious and David Wells, um, those were, I mean, they, they had their two career years in 1998. I mean, obviously, David Wells was a very good pitcher before then, too, but 98 was his best year, I would say, of his career. And Scott Brocious as well. Um, it's the only year he ever hit 300. Um, so, anyways, that's why I picked the top five the way I did. So, that's my top five general managers in Yankees history. What's your top five? Feel free to tweet me at HistoricNYY on Twitter. And you can also feel free to comment on Facebook and Instagram. And you can feel free to email me at HistoricPinstripes at gmail.com. So thank you for listening, everyone. And stay tuned for next week's episode on my all-time Yankees roster. So long, everyone. And as always, go Yankees! (laughs) 